It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. We've qualified for the World Cup. Go and compete. <laughs> The game is about being effective, being aggressive, winning the ball, getting on with the play. We'll put them under pressure. Hello, my name is Dave Hanratty and there will be no encore. Long live Jack Charlton, who yes. tragically passed away at the tender age of 85 last weekend. Um, so essentially, we're not going to dwell too long on this. I just wanted to say thanks for the memories, Jack, you know? Big Jack. Sad times. Manager of Assault, good, yeah. We didn't even get man. to the chorus, man. What a tune that is. It was an electrifying yeah, actually, start. That, that is a fair point. Uh, Sonic Architect, Adam, can you can you play us the chorus, please, so that we can uh, <laughs> Don't can bore us. blast of that. It's the chorus. It's the chorus. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe we actually oh, won the World Cup that summer. It was weird. Yeah, it was incredible. Absolutely incredible. Uh, it, it, make, it makes you just bleed green, doesn't it? You know, it's an incredible thing. We want to get also that checked. incredible thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
there's lots of reasons to go to the doctor at the moment. Yeah. Uh, so essentially, right, listen, look, let's not stand on fucking Sarah. We're back, the lads, <laughs> the lads. together. Uh, yeah, it's been a couple of weeks, man. I haven't I haven't seen your face. I haven't heard your voice. Well, I heard your voice because you were on the show last week. Yeah. Great job, by the way. We were on it. Oh, thank you. And same to you. Zara was great uh, the previous week, um, as was Fanula joining me last week. Yeah, we've been on a bit of a break. Uh, trying out different podcast partners. I've got very keys in the bowl. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe we should stop fighting and just, you know, try and sort this marriage out. You know, it's been Let's a few years it, now. Dude. Yeah. For the kids. So, yeah, uh, right. On this episode, okay, uh, we will be talking about lots of things, including the Irish Times Top 50 Albums of All Time, which came out, Top 50 Irish Albums of All Time, which came out last weekend. I've already had uh, my housemate Richard be like, you're too late to this, lads. And I'm like, it came out the fucking weekend. Like, like what am I going to do? I, I have to comment on it. I know you think it's disingenuous. <laughs> and you're like, I... You, you you made this weird Twitter statement where you were like... Was it oh, weird no or was comments. it like a fucking full stop on the whole thing? Drawing a line underneath it. Um, <laughs> and here I am in the running order. Twitter was it's lucky time. I deigned to comment. It was one of my four tweets of the week. Um, it felt very much like... Um, it felt very much like, you know, like no further comment at this time, Craig Fitzpatrick, like, like a notes app statement. <laughs> if that's my I notes app statement, well. I'll be doing well. Um but yeah, your roommate uh, Richard Twitter Chambers, of course he's like saying we're too late to it because he's caught up in this fucking constant news cycle of like, if it had been, if we had recorded the podcast that evening, he would have said, listen lads, it's not coming out till tomorrow, it's it's over. <laughs> That's true, yeah, yeah. And in fairness, I was away for the weekend. I was celebrating my birthday. It was your birthday yeah. week before that or Happy whatever. Birthday, so dude. yeah, so we're not just... We're, oh, cheers, same to you. Uh, we're not just trying on new podcast partners. We're also trying on new ages, getting older and that kind of stuff. And I guess it's stuff like lists that really kind of make you realise how old or young or non-committal you are whatsoever. So that's on the show in the news. We'll also be reviewing the new album from Rufus Wainwright. And of course, their top five this week concerns non-English language songs, the best thereof. If you want to support No Encore, I would love that. So would Craig. It's patreon.com slash no encore. If you want to throw us the price of a substantial meal, you're more than welcome to do so. And uh, just to note, though, while I was away, I was also being very busy. I recorded a few new episodes of uh, No Popcorn, our film-related offshoot show with Norma Howard and David Higgins. The first of those episodes, which is about control slash 24-hour party people, will be out next week as of this podcast. Very dropping. excited for that one. Yeah, and also because, you know, it's a sporadic enough show, we don't always get to do it with the frequency that we would like to. Uh, we recorded a couple more episodes back to back. So in the following weeks, you will get to hear an episode about Eurovision, the Netflix Eurovision movie <laughs> starring Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams, and also Yesterday, that Beatles movie oh, that everyone loved from 2019. Hell. So they're all in the bank and they're all coming. They're gonna have but to wait for, for me. Craig, they're gonna have to wait for me. I have to get on the um, Inside Lewin Davis one. Didn't you do that like before Christmas? And I was holding. I think it was just before Christmas. You, you tackle that. We did it with a uh, David Tapley of Tand and Felix fame. Yes, I finally saw the film like a couple of weeks ago for the first time ever. So like I can now dive oh, wow. in without having to worry about spoilers. It was great. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, yeah like I'm fantastic. still thinking about it. It's so good. It's a beautiful, beautiful film. Um, not so beautiful, though, is the Irish Times top 50 <laughs> list of best Irish yeah. albums of all time. First off, though, congratulations to Girl Band on, on, on officially recording the best Irish album of all time. The Talkies, which came out last year, and boy, did that upset people. Um, essentially, we knew this was coming. We like they, they put out the cover of the Ticket Weekend Edition on like the Friday or something, and or the Thursday, and it was a case of, you know, like, let the debate begin. And then the debate, it, it's funny, like, like, friend of the show and former 
guest of the show, George Morahan, in our group chat did say, it seems like they wanted to kind of inspire like kind of a Pro, like I guess provocative controversy or something clicks. but instead just mostly yeah <laughs> instead <laughs> mostly mostly inspired universal derision so um yeah you in particular took against this immediately Craig yeah Why? I've got I've got my tweet uh <laughs> I said can't someone up the effort to critique this list because it just feels super disingenuous and yeah like I kind of I dipped in I immediately read the preamble and I was like, okay, there's so many like get out of jail free cards and like clauses and, oh, we're being provocative, but actually we, we really believe it. And there's no kind of tokenism, but maybe there's a bit of recency bias. And um, there was <laughs> there's one line in particular that's just like, it was a total cop out. It was kind of a, um, who's to say this should be the number one album? Who's to say all of them couldn't be number one? you decide and it's just like if you're not going to have any courage in your convictions you've ordered them it wasn't just like here are the 50 it was like a ranked list so stand behind it at least right the headline the headline specifically says in order now this was comprised and compiled put together by two irish times journalists ed power uh famously non-unproblematic ed power and uh, lauren murphy and essentially like that's one of my big problems with the list is that i'm like it's one thing for us a show like no encore to be like here are here's our top 50 or even when we do the top 20s at the end of the year or whatever because that's our show yeah. it's made up of you and me and that's what people who listen to the show would be like fair enough it's this is their thing but if we had like a team of 15 to 20 people or more surely they should get a look in if you're putting together something of this nature especially if it's the fucking irish times so yeah i just feel like it's you know like, as, like as much you, as we think this is roster. a great yeah as much as we think this is a great podcast it's not the irish podcast of record <laughs> do you know what i mean hey, yeah well, listen not with that attitude pal you know what i mean like but i feel like the irish times could call upon the likes of louise bruton jen gannon dean van Nguyen, eamon sweeney um who else we got here that i'm just not thinking. zara hedeman andrea cleary there's low Tony Clayton Lee. Um, course, there's yeah. plenty more that I'm just not thinking of right now. And it's like, you could easily just be like, what do you think, guys? Like, you know, surely everyone would want to be involved. But instead, it, it came down to two people. Um, and I just think that their tastes aren't up to it, essentially. So the intro, by the way, that you refer to, uh, here's a couple of paragraphs, right? Needless to say, it was a daunting task to narrow down the list to just 50 albums. In fact, when our separate lists were combined, there were 90 in total. Limiting each act to a maximum of two entries, we then argued our cases for the albums that we felt should make the cut and tinkered with the placement of those that deserved a more superior ranking. Our choice for number one may come as a surprise, particularly given that it hasn't even been 12 months since its release. Some of you may even be shocked. Some may be downright outraged. Nevertheless, there is nothing to say that that is less worthy of the title than any other. The same could be said for every other entry. Why Enya and not Horse Lips? Well, why not? <laughs> well, why there are not? no tokenistic <laughs> inclusions here. Everything was selected on merit alone. Um, I'm not going to go through the entire 50 because that would take too long. But I will say that some sacred cow placements for comparison. Uh, Thin Lizzy, Live and Dangerous was number 50. Yeah. Uh, Fontaine's DC's Dog Rule, number 46. Damien Rice's O, number 45. And then getting close to the top 10, uh, the much heralded, much talked about in the intro, Astral Weeks by Van Morrison takes the spot at number 11. There's no placements for the likes of Rory Gallagher, two-time choice music prize winner Jape, yeah. De Laurentos. Hosier was snubbed. Can <laughs> you believe it? Um, you know, like you mentioned recency bias. I mean, like, yeah, you got Just Mustard uh, with Wednesday at number 35. It's an okay album. You got Jafaris and Stride, an album like I quite like. Like, but number 19, like the 19th best Irish album of all time, I don't know if it is. And then also some generally questionable shouts, like Tudor Cinema Club's Tourist History being in there at number 29, which I'm just like, I don't think so, lads. Uh, I will give you the top 10. The top 10 
In order, number 10, Kathy Davey, Tales of Silversleeve from 2007. From 1990 at number 9, Sinead O'Connor's I Do Not Want What I Haven't Got. Uh, the best Irish album of all time, My Bloody Valentine's Loveless, at number eight. Uh, number seven, Villagers Becoming a Jackal. Number six, The Immediate in Towers and Clouds, of course, Conor O'Brien's former band. Top five, number five, Roisin Murphy's Overpowered. Number four, Whipping Boy and Heartworm. Number three, Ah House, I Am the Greatest. Number two, You Two Octon Baby. And number one, Girl Band The Talkies. Now, to give you the write-up as well before I stop talking on The Girl Band, have you ever heard a more apologetic intro than this? Yes, we have given top spot to a record less than a year old, made by musicians who seem actively hostile to such jaded concepts as melodies and decipherable lyrics. And yes, after the many recent conversations about lack of diversity in Irish music, we have plumbed for four pasty-faced boys with asymmetrical fringes which doesn't quite describe girl band but no, okay uh, gen- and then it goes uh, gender imbalance in Irish rock is however in alas a conversation beyond the scope of this piece okay uh, one thing that is impossible to deny is the wit the fearlessness and ferocity of the talkies a project that dismantles the idea of what pop should be and rebuilds it from the ground up drawing on a sojourn in a creepy house in County Leash and recorded in the shadow of singer Dara Keeley's mental health experiences it is spellbindly baroque a brutal mesmerising tour de force at our present fraught moment in history moreover girl band's dystopian uh, contours tap into the dread which we are all wrestling what is the point of making lists such as these if not to take risks which is why we're proud to nail our reputations to the mast and stand behind girl band in the talkie it is, is it, a stor- it is a stormy unnerving masterpiece it is those things for sure and it's a fantastic record and it's actually one I very much enjoy going back to off the back of this list under no pressure to review it or anything this time for the first time in a while and I will say I'm enjoying it a lot more than I ever did and it's a record I liked quite a lot but couldn't fall in love with at the time it is a fucking amazing record but I feel like the lads and girl band would be the first people to tell you it isn't the best Irish album of all time but also even like there's no organic reason for this list to exist by the way I don't understand if it was like the 40th anniversary of Loveless or something and the whole hook was everyone always says Loveless is the best Irish album of all time is it time for a rethink you know like yeah. where, where, where will it stand up in this catch-all thing and the last thing I'll say on this before I throw to you Craig is this the Irish Times paper of record great music section Dave Hanready currently available on a freelance basis. Let's make it happen, After guys. <laughs> but they, seriously, they should I just do a do, fucking better job. They should, I do a fucking better job than this. Man. Imagine they just no published question. your list. <laughs> Wasn't even you and someone else. It's just like Dave's best <laughs> top 50. That'd be... <laughs> I, I, I could take it much like uh, much like Batman at the end of the Dark Knight. I, you know, they can hunt me because I can take it. You know, yeah, That's yeah, yeah. Is. I recently rewatched the uh, Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy. That's where I'm at in this phase of my unemployment. <laughs> I when we talked about the girl band album, I did actually draw comparisons to um, Loveless at the time, just in terms of you know what a kind of artistic achievement it was, how kind of singular it was. I think you need a bit more hindsight to really put it in the kind of the firmament of absolute classics. It's, it's a great album. It does feel like, Dave, when you say, what's the point of this list? It feels like one of them had the idea or said out loud, do you know what? I think the Talkies is like the best Irish album ever. And then they were like, they worked backwards from there. I, I feel like that might've been the hook because I can't see the hook otherwise, particularly the fact it's missing so many contributors, as you say. Um, yeah, like, it's just, I don't think there's enough context to kind of put the talkies right up there. Um, they don't even really get into what they mean by best. I mean, it's best rather than greatest. So are you taking into account, like, influence on culture and acts that, you know, followed? It really just seems like the two writers' faves combined. Ah, it was hit number three, kind of speaks volumes, I think. 
not to single them out as I single them out, but like, yeah. Uh, the immediate number six. I mean, I I do love that album. It's, it's really good. But like when we did our underrated Irish gems list, I was going to pick like one of their songs because I think they're a bit slept on. And I was like, ah, it's it's very good, but it's not quite that good. The whole album at number six in the best Irish albums of all time. Um, I don't know. I think Connor went on to do better stuff. Um, better stuff that's placed lower. <laughs> so yeah, that's all I have to say about this list. And uh, Dave, I don't appreciate you getting you dragging me into this debate after I'm this so is, aloof this on is Twitter. <laughs> Listen, first of all, there hasn't there hasn't been a lot of news this week, and it felt like you know it should be discussed. Um, I understand what you're saying. Like, does it deserve even ten minutes on a podcast? Yada yada yada. But first of all, I I know I can provoke you to say one more thing because you weren't happy that Jape wasn't on here, right? Not to get too much into the where's this, but Jape. <laughs> Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, Jake seems like an obvious shout, but again, it comes back to like a lot less chance of Jake being there when it's purely the opinions of two people. Um, like, well, the thing that surprised me, right? Yeah. No, go on, you go first. Go on. I was going to compare it um, unflatteringly to the Guardian's top fifty British singles list that was running a couple of months ago, a couple of weeks ago, which was very controversial. Um, I think I had a team of four or five writers on it, but it was. Some of the selections were a bit out there, but there seemed to be real thought put into it. There was, you know, emphasis placed on kind of cultural context and impact and everything. And I think actually, while I wouldn't agree with the list, they made their point really strongly. What it did kind of inspire proper debate. This just feels kind of slammed together in a weekend. Yeah, it does. And that's the problem as well. But also, I will say, I thought it was very interesting to see, like, beyond the standard punter comments of, like, where's Rory Gallagher? You also did have a lot of people in the Irish music scene, both journalists and also musicians and so on, whether on Twitter, and I've seen some deleted tweets, which were very funny. (laughs) People were like, actually, no, I probably shouldn't say that. But also, I've seen people just, like, WhatsApp and so on. Like, some people got really fucking pissed off. But more to the point, I was just very interested that people... Like, uh, you use the word disingenuous. Uh, Nadina Regan, when she tweeted out about it, she was like, I can't help but feel that this is designed to just piss people off as opposed to enrich anything. I was really interested how people kind of took against it in that capacity and were very much like, we just think that this doesn't work. Like, it was just kind of like, this This feels smug. It just feels kind of designed to kind of piss people off in the wrong ways. It didn't feel like it was trying to actually foster a proper debate. And that's, I, I think it was like, like you can do lists, you know, like I'm all for them, but it just didn't feel like there was a proper organic reason. And the thing that you said earlier on, like, that's a better article, right? If someone comes forward and says, the talkies is the best Irish album of all time. And now I'm going to get into why. And you reference other records, but like yeah. putting it together in this kind of pinball-y way, nah, it just didn't quite work. Um, also not quite working, uh, certainly not for a while, are of course Versatile, Ireland's favourite rap botherers. Uh, don't want to talk too much about these guys because no. I did say a while ago on the show that we should stop talking about them. But it should be said that I think probably during the recording of last week's show, there was an incident involving Erica Cody. I assume most people are aware of this. If not, go on to her Instagram, go on to her Twitter. It won't take you to to find out why but again i don't even i don't mean that from a salacious gossip point of view it's a grim enough fucking story she was basically intimidated allegedly do we yeah. say that for legal reasons um by one of versatile and so on and lots of stuff doing the rounds there uh lots of pressure continuing on mpi artists who represent versatile to drop them and that is what they have done on saturday 
MPIR has put out a statement uh, saying that they do not condone intimidation, bullying and racism in any of its forms. We do not agree with the recent actions related to Diversitas' engagement with Erica Cody. Strongly urge the Act and their management team to reflect on their decisions. By mutual agreement, MPI will no longer be handling the bookings for Versatile and wish them the best for their future. We have always strived to play an important role in building a society with compassion, inclusion and respect at its heart. Paramount to our concern is the mental health and well-being of Erica and the members of Versatile, all of whom are young and at the beginning of their musical careers. We are alarmed by the harmful messaging that has been witnessed online and call for an immediate stop to all activities. Uh, the wonderful community that makes the live events industry in Ireland is going through an extraordinary difficult time. We will continue to support all of its members wherever possible. We will be reaching out to Erica Cody and Casper, or Casey Walsh to ensure that they're both supportive of this moment in time and not making any further public statement. Now, I've seen people uh, say that good move, bad statement. I disagree in terms of the second part. I actually am very kind of buoyed by the fact that they took the time to promote empathy and yeah. basically say that tempered. some people were saying... But some people were saying, oh, like, they're both sizing this. And I don't think that's the case at all. I think ultimately what you have to remember here is, and I'm not in any way defending or condoning the actions of your man from Versatile, nor their fucking general antics to this point. Um, and it strikes me that they are still struggling to learn from their mistakes. Um, I don't, I think that someone who's that young and is, you know, someone who's sold at three arena, maybe very much high on their own fucking actions. I like the fact that people are like, look, listen, Dude's fucked up massively. Let's give him a chance to rehabilitate. Of course. You know, I mean, if that involves, you know, like no more career for Versatile, great. I think that their shelf life has long expired and they should be dropped and they shouldn't be promoted and they should be even talking about them on the show. I'm just kind of like, oh, let's just get through this section. But also, I mean, like first and foremost, Eric Cody in this situation is obviously the most important person. But I like the fact, you know, that there is room for like, there are people involved here who are young and this industry is very cutthroat and you know, like, without getting into the fucking specifics of what has happened here, I think it's rare that you see this kind of a thing. It's usually just very cut and dry. And I'm kind of alarmed at people who are like, no, no, fuck him. He shouldn't be allowed. I'm like, like this is a human being at the end of the day who's yeah. pretty immature as hell and I, needs a but, fucking talking to. But like, you know, but this is a know. this is a kind of wider problem. Yeah. And I, I agree, Dave, this is a wider problem with, you know, people, particularly on social media, that are like on the right side of history, I guess, at the moment, but just being very cutthroat and um, saying, OK, yeah, they're, you know, their career should be finished. Or they should not be spoken about ever again. Fuck them. They're terrible people. They're, you know, beyond rehabilitation, which is totally extreme and bizarre to me. And it's also like, what does that do? constructively for anyone for society what are you doing by you know demonizing a person like that well they're just going to go to you know a group that maybe is treating them uh like fucking people and you're not going to get them fucking to rehabilitate whatsoever so it's the same thing in a, a totally kind of different situation with the guardian um job cuts which were announced today and <laughs> the first thing i saw was the amount of liberals online being like yeah well fuck the guardian because like they they printed this op-ed last year that was like going to corbin and it's like okay do you, so you want to get rid of the guardian which is like like one of the last vestiges of kind of semi-liberal left-wing journalism in the uk is okay is that like gonna improve things just having a pure right slant i don't know we need a bit more empathy for sure yeah i just don't agree with the scorched earth policy yeah, of these totally, things totally. i hope i hope erica cody is okay i hope that this is the end of this kind of behavior yeah, it I was very upsetting to watch her, her video horrendous. yeah um, awful. And I hope that that's the end of this kind of stuff because it's it's bizarre and it's wrong and it's awful and 
Hopefully we can move on from this specific point of view because I just don't want to talk about Versatile anymore. They really should be done. Just fucking disband the project. Let's move on. Um, also not happening, sadly, of course, is Kanye West's presidential campaign uh, thought to be over as quickly as it began. I'm stunned. Are you shocked? <laughs> yes, stunned and shocked. He's out, said Steve Kramer, who apparently was helped uh, was helping West get on the ballot in Florida and South Carolina. Didn't do his job. Um, yeah essentially it's not going to go ahead we knew this kind of from the get-go right he'd already missed out on a few states and knowing kanye it seemed like something he mightn't get around to doing like he might just start a new album project or something in between um it was poor timing for chance the rapper i must say who'd (laughs) 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 took the opportunity last monday monday morning (laughs) to wade in on twitter and basically say, listen, really, you want you want Biden over Kanye? I know who I trust more. Starting a debate that no one was really having. Why are we in a world at this point where we, where Biden and Kanye are even in the same sentence? Can we just go back to talking about music? Chance is like, did you see Chance's tweets? I did, yeah, okay. I did. <laughs> he was doing I, that. I say this, Yeah, I don't want to be mean, but I think he's a fucking idiot. Well, his, his social media game, Leaves a lot to be desired, just in, in terms of... So did his last album, mate. Yeah, and, you know, Fucking speaking Jesus. of his last album, like when he, you know, when he took to Twitter previously to talk about how how personally he was taking the backlash to the album, do you remember he kind of led with very heavy statements that he then had to kind of say, oh, listen, I was joking, I'm not going to hurt myself, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's all peace and love while still being a bit kind of like snarky at critics. It's kind of this thing again where he leads with a very, very... Uh, blunt black and white statement um, about Biden and Kanye. And then if you get into his tread, he's kind of saying, oh, listen, I just want someone that's going to, you know, get rid of the the Eighth Amendment and, uh, you know, take care of homeless people and all that good stuff everyone agrees with or should agree with. And it's kind of like, what are you doing? Are you just stirring the pot? I think he was probably, like, he said some pretty nasty things about Kanye a couple of years ago, just in terms of his creativity, right? Nothing personal, but he was saying, listen, Kanye hasn't made a good album since, I think he said... You might have said graduation or something ridiculous. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and was like talking about how he would have improved the life of Pablo. And this feels oh, very man. much like he's like, okay, I kind of need Kanye to produce my next album because my career has hit the fucking skids. Well, in fairness, <laughs> he did improve life of Pablo. His section on... Oh, he was uh, glorious. Yeah. Ultra Light Beam is, is without question the only good thing Chance the Rapper has done in his entire career. Nah, come now, on. Moving on. Acid rap. <laughs> what are you talking about? Okay. I want to go back to uh, Steve Kramer here for a second because his quotes Please are fantastic. It's like, Kramer said he was in the process of getting, quote, stuff cancelled and later added, I have nothing good or bad to say about Kanye. Everyone has their personal decision about why they make decisions. Great statement, by the way. That's up there with the year of realising This guy's stuff. working for then, Kanye. <laughs> then he goes, running for president has to be one of the hardest things for someone to actually contemplate at that level. End quote. Next line. It's thought that West was yet to file any of the official paperwork regarding to run for president. I'm like, yeah, of course. Uh, I haven't read that Forbes interview that you talked about on last week's show. I can't bring myself to do it. No, don't. Save, uh, save yourself. When, uh, when I was home last weekend, by the way, it was my mother's, um, it was my mother's 70th birthday. And it was a small family gathering, very safe, by the way, very social distancy, all the stuff respected. Please don't arrest me, anybody. And my brother-in-law came over to me at one stage and goes, what's going on with Kanye West? And I was like, I don't know how to answer this I question. I get that anymore. a lot just, as well. Like, <laughs> I, was like, I, I was like, listen, I was like, I don't agree with everything he does. I, I wish he'd stop doing interviews at the moment. I, I kind of wish he'd stop tweeting. Wish he'd just keep making great music, mate. But even that's not a guarantee anymore. 
but then of course he was like, "Has he ever made good music?" And I'm like, "Yes, lots of it." <laughs> like, so I love the way he's talked stuff. about like he's some kind of distant cousin in your family. <laughs> Just like here, what's, what's going on with yeah, yeah, what's going on with yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man, oh, I don't know, man. He's not he's not getting back to me. Um, how do you feel about Ricky Martin, Craig? I have a lot of time for Ricky Martin, I must say. He had some bangers. He seems like a good dude. I don't know too much about him, but he brightens up my world whenever I think about him. Yeah, he seems like a good guy. He was also, um, he also was in that season two of that American Crime Story, the Gianni Versace one. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. He's barely in it though, which is a shame because he's not bad at all. You know, he's got screen presence, but um, he did a new interview this week and he said that at the height of his success, um... Sorry, I'm going, to re- I'm going to read the, the I'm going to actually read the opening paragraph because yeah, it's, it's so bad. At the height of his success, Ricky Martin proclaimed to the world that he was living La Vida Loca, <laughs> but in a new interview, Martin has realized that life at the time was actually much more painful than his popular song, Let On. Um, he spoke <laughs> on the latest episode of Apple Music's Proud Radio and said that he was in the closet in the late 90s because he wasn't out yet. He said, the world was giving me back the hours I'd put into music, the hours I'd put into my career. I was the king of the world. My music was being heard all over the world, regardless of the language language appropriate for our upcoming top five and he says i could high five god but i wasn't living to the fullest i was sad i was depressed and then he uh, explains how he just felt under tremendous amount of pressure and he go around the world he once came off a tour because he was like i can't do this anymore i need to go home i need silence i need to cry and be angry i need to forgive myself for allowing myself to reach this level and get where i'm at um, he finally summoned up the courage to publicly come out to his fans, having done so with his family and friends. Uh, he did it in his memoir, I believe. He said, I wrote it and I pressed send and then I cried like crazy and I've been wow. super happy ever since. Um, so he basically says that like, it's very important that there are other LGBTQ stars out in the world for people to look up to. Uh, he cited Bad Bunny, who I think he's done a song with or something. Um, but basically like it was one of those things where it was like, fuck, I mean like, I would have thought, you know, this is the coolest, slickest guy in the world. This guy's high-fiving gods. <laughs> I mean, listen, if someone's high-fiving God, you know, like, that's the most Kanye line ever. But uh, it was nice that there was kind of, like, a nice little kind of happy ending for him. Because, yeah. you know, I would like to think, Craig, that as a society, we've long moved on from any kind of what? <laughs> so, I, I guess the world of football hasn't, sadly. But, you know, oh, in music crazy, especially. Yeah. Even I know, yeah, Philip Schofield, was that, like, last year or this year? So much has happened I this year. I think that was this year. It and I remember when it came out, I was like, yeah, I had yeah. just always assumed, because I don't know much about Philip Schofield, I was like, I thought that had... That had come out or it was just a, a given thing but no there was you know a big not a Ferrari but there was a lot of interest in that story which is like okay yeah I kind of get it but also big deal no with Ricky business like, with, yeah. yeah totally with Ricky Martin I can imagine how doubly difficult it was for him because like he was this kind of Latin pop sensation uh traditionally a very kind of masculine arena so many of his songs were essentially thematically they were I'm God's gift to women who I'm also high-fiving. Um, so, like, when it's so much of your public persona, it's kind of, you're partially thinking, is this the reason people are buying the records? Am I kind of a, you know, heartthrob for the ladies? Does that all go away? It just adds to the fucking pressure, I guess. Big time, yeah. I mean, like, who knows? Maybe there was, like, some kind of you-can't-possibly situation. Different time, of course. Not great. Um, to, so you mentioned the Philip Schofield thing there. I wonder if that's, like, a, a Bader-Meinhof thing or something, because, like, yeah, yeah, my yeah. instant reaction on Saturday morning to the news of Jack Charleston's death was, I was like, this happened years ago. I was like, oh, really? I remember him dying. Yeah. I was like, I remember him dying. And then, I, and then I was like, well, fuck, what did I remember instead? Like, I was like, what if I confused the Bill O'Hurley, maybe? But, like, I was convinced that Jack Charlton wow. was 
Bobby Robson, maybe? <laughs> I'm going to stop thinking of no. <laughs> deceased people because yeah, yeah, yeah. that's where my mind is. Um, on, uh, uh, on the subject of Big Jack, by the way, that Guardian cartoon. I was going to say, Ugh. like, surely you would have been, you would have remembered being broken apart by a David Squires cartoon <laughs> if it had oh, have happened already. fucking job this week. Yeah, Any, so in, yeah. Uh, full, dis- full disclosure for the listener, uh, in our group chat, someone put in the It was David me, actually. Jack actually was, no, it was George, yeah. I think it was George, but then you you, you basically were like, oh, I'm not going to lie, choked up a yeah, bit. Yeah, and I yeah. was like, oh yeah, I'm sure it's really sad. And I clicked into <laughs> it. And then when I got to the last few panels, I was like, tears just like falling down Famous my face. Famous tough guy, like, oh, Hannity. Like. <laughs> That's what they call me. That's what they call me. What you else know, you got in the news this week? Um, well, Kelly Rowland's been talking about her struggles with fame as well. No, hang uh, on, hang on. I, most I, specifically... I, I, I in, yeah, go on. I appear, to have interrupted a, uh, I, I appear to have interrupted a personal moment there that you're about to volunteer. And I don't want to do that, Craig. It's not this kind of podcast. So. I was kind of going to... In your own Critique the, the Squires um, cartoon. Not critique it, uh, just kind of analyse it slightly. And he made the right call with spoilers for a, a David Squire cartoon about um, Jack Carlton. But like that final frame with the dog, like you have him fishing with his kind of loyal companion. And then, of course, the last shot is the dog by the river by himself. I'm like, yeah, that was like, that was the move. Introduce the animal who is now wistfully staring at the sky. Couldn't fail. <laughs> <laughs> He's a beautiful man. He's a huge talent. <laughs> I feel like, um, I feel like introduce the animal is the name of like a fucking typo negative record or something somewhere. I'm going to have to go look that it up. It must be. But anyway, um, Kelly Rowland's having her own problems. Yeah. Yeah. I said struggling with her fame. It was actually kind of Beyonce's fame. So she's opened up about being compared to Beyonce. Um, in Destiny's Child, and I guess probably most pertinently in her solo career thereafter, which is kind of like a, yeah, of course. Um, she said that she would torture herself in her head, and it went on for kind of a decade. Um, she's, you know, talked about <laughs> how it got to the point where she was thinking, like, I can't wear this dress because they're going to say it's like B, or I can't have a song like that because it sounds too much like B. They're going to compare anyway. And yeah, a whole decade, she said it was like the elephant in the room. Uh, it was the thing that would constantly be on my shoulder. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, we all kind of knew that that must have been tough, but I guess we never really stopped to think about it. Um, I feel like Michelle in that group kind of carved out her own niche, right? Because she kind of did the soul gospel thing a bit more. She kind of went off in a kind of genre thing that worked for her, whereas Kelly Rowland was clearly going for the same like pop star role that Beyonce was going for and it tends to work out with kind of girl and boy bands that there's only like one slot available for whatever reason for someone to properly make it. Yeah, there's also, I mean, I'm sympathetic, but I'm sympathetic to a degree. Yeah. Because I'm like, <laughs> you still have a massive musical career and you're loved by millions around the world. I mean, like if you contrast this with the um, the Alanis Morissette <laughs> story you've chosen this week, where she's opening up on how she didn't want Ironic to be on Jagged Little Pill at first. Ironic, isn't into it? it? Or is it? Hey. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so she wasn't that precious about it apparently but then came to re- realise later that maybe she should have been more careful about agreeing to put the song since she's put up with decades of quote shaming, shaming over the songs definitely not always ironic lyrics and I'm like I don't think that this is a real problem like this isn't like I, I can't imagine like there's been walking down the street tons of abuse about people being like actually Alanis I don't think that this is very ironic you know um, maybe also, it is that that annoying thing of like someone thinks they're clever and it's the first time they've thought of the joke and in the street or at some party they will say it to her which I can imagine would be interminable yeah I guess so but also I don't know I mean I, I have more of a problem with the song itself which I'm not a huge fan of I'm Craig, not really a fan of her stuff in general yeah I don't get it I don't get it how do you feel about Rufus Wainwright though 
famous song and dance man. <laughs> famous song and dance man who I saw uh, before Christmas yeah, last so, year. It was a kind oh of family God, I affair. I saw him a while ago. I saw him back in 2007. Oh, was that around? That was around release the stars. He wasn't doing his was duty garland thing. Tour, okay, yeah. so he no, wasn't. he wasn't. No, no, no. Okay. Uh, yeah. But we'll get into all of it. We'll get into all of it because he's got a new record called and Follow the Rules." Here's a song called "Trouble in Paradise." I was going round from the town to the country, then going back round from the country back to the town. Troubadour Rufus Wainwright. Here to tell us more about the man is Craig Fitzpatrick. Thank you, David. Um, yeah, so that's Unfollow the Rules. Um, the title courtesy of his daughter, uh, Viva, who is his daughter with Leonard Cohen's daughter, Lorca, which I think kind of tells you something about Rufus being at the centre of this, like, quite particular, like, Venn diagram of musical lineages and styles and like, if you dig some of these circles, like, he might be the singer-songwriter for you if you're not aware of his stuff. So he's a Canadian-American artist. Uh, it's, like, Montreal by way of upstate New York kind of upbringing. Um, like, a large chunk of his time recently has been spent on, you know, writing opera kind of commissions, and he's been embraced by the classical world. Um, people might know him from, like, delivering maybe the sole recent cover of um, Hallelujah that kind of has... You know, at, at all compared to Jeff Buckley's, I think it was in Shrek or something. It's quite popular. And, you know, if you go a couple of decades back, he was the kind of troubadour that like Elton John would have kind of collared and said, this is the new like it kids. This is the, you know, the new Dylan, um, along with the Conor Oberst and the unfortunately Ryan Adams of the world. I think it was too grand and operatic and artsy to kind of fit that Dylan role. Uh, he has this like Elton oversized personality thing and he's wrestled with that star thing I think throughout his career where he's like he's a great personality he should be a pop star it's never happened for him really like he's quite a niche concern although he's you know critically adored and I think yeah he's really struggled with that so he's had albums that are kind of pure pop his last uh, like you know album of full originals was called Out of the Game and it was Mark Ronson produced and it was like kind of 70s rock but like big choruses and it clearly him aiming like maybe for the last time for the charts um I think on this record he's like clearly spent the last few years um raising a family he's got a long-term partner he's got a, a kid obviously and he seems kind of content in his personal life that's been like his focus I interviewed him maybe five years ago now and he was starting that journey it seems to have continued happily and it means when he arrives on this album, he's kind of, not that he's not trying. I think Rufus Not Trying is my favourite kind of Rufus, but he's not like pushing things. He doesn't have a narrative in his head of like what he wants the album to be. It's like undiluted Rufus, what he's good at. And it's kind of, it's comfortable. It's not like cutting edge, but you know, does it work for you? 
I mean, you kind of took the words out of my mouth because it does, it's like, I, I'm always really, really worried about this phrase because I I, I don't mean it to be like a, as dismissive as it might sound, but this is a collection of songs, right? I mean, that's kind of what it is. It's it's Rufus Wainwright doing what he does over some songs that are very elegantly composed and put together. And as always, he sounds beautiful and his voice is golden as all hell, but... Yeah. There's nothing new here. Um, before we get into the record, how did you find him as an interview subject back then? Oh, fantastic. He, like, he's very gregarious. He's very warm. Like, it's that thing of like he he exudes that kind of personality. Like when you read him on the page, that's like what he's like to talk to. Do you know what I mean? There's no like trying to find, you know, with most interviews, you're kind of like, oh, that's the quote in the back of your head. With him, it's just like, this is all great copy. And he's like an yeah, enjoy totally. he's enjoyable company as well. It doesn't feel like some calculated thing. He's just naturally a raconteur, you know, kind of way. Big time, yeah. When I saw him in Vicar Street in two thousand seven, I think it was, five star show. <laughs> like yeah, incredible. Just, yeah. And at one stage in the show, he did a a cappella non microphone Irish song, I think it was Makushla. Which on paper sounds like just like, oh God, get me out of the building. But it was like not a fucking pin drop in the audience. Yeah. Just gorgeous. His his voice managing to hit every corner of the room. And it was a total love-in though, you know. It was like, if you're going to a Rufus Wainwright show, like, you know, it was like sitting at a table. Like, there he is with his piano. Uh, he's wry. He's funny. He's playful. He's very puckish, you know. Um, like, it, it's all the world's a stage, I think, for, for a, a figure like Rufus Wainwright. It's funny because I remember like, at the next time he came to Ireland, I think was after his mother had passed away or something and he was doing the tribute stuff. Yeah, so I remember my friend went to see him in the Board Gosh Energy Theatre. Uh, what was it called before the Board Gosh Energy Theatre? Grand uh, Canal Theatre, yeah. Yeah, it's where I saw where I saw Bonnie Vera play an amazing show. And it's like, my friend went to see him and apparently like there was a weird thing where the audience were told for the first half of the show, Rufus doesn't want any applause whatsoever. Oh, and, like, okay. <laughs> It was like, it's like a mark okay, of and like, so, or just it's a performance. It's it's all part of one piece or something. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And so the the audience, because you know the audience are fans, so they duly obliged. But apparently, like when it got to the ending of the, the last song in this part of the set, one bloke just went like, just forgot and went like. And then, like, everyone started pissing themselves, and it was like, oh, no. But then I think, like, for, I think for the second half of the show, he came out and, like, maybe did some hits. But there was definitely, like, a leaning towards playing the Mother Tribute stuff, which people hadn't really bought their tickets for. Yeah. Um, You saw him, you saw him just last year, was it? Yeah, he was performing with his sister, Martha Wainwright, who's a very accomplished artist herself. They obviously come from, um, you know, his mother that sadly passed was Kate McGarrigal from the McGarrigals, um, her sister as well, Anna. They were a duo back in the, you know, 70s, 60s, up until recent times. And their dad is Loudon Wainwright III, who's like, uh, who was quite a wordy, kind of smart um, 70s singer-songwriter, who also seems like a bit of a piece of work. Like um, Rufus and him don't seem to have a great relationship. I, I mean, think like, they've like performed recently. I think like they're they're getting along, but he now. seems like he seems he seems like a load of work. Like Martha Wainwright There's had a some... song called "Bloody Motherfucking Asshole" about him. Yeah, and yeah. and Rufus has Rufus probably has more than one, but he has "Dinner at Eight, uh, which yes, is an exceptional yeah. sad song about them rowing, and it's so. The details are so lived in that you're like, oof, Jesus, the sharpness of this. There's, yeah, you're tempted almost to put them in the role of like a musical succession family or something. But oh, the they feel time, like kind of like, they feel like musical royalty. They're almost like right? the Kennedys yeah. or something. Do you know what I mean? It's a weird, weird vibe with them. Um, but it's great. And yeah, sorry, the, the Christmas show was the two of them and their extended family. They they all kind of do stuff along with like Connor O'Brien, uh, Neil Hannon was there. 
Um, and it was kind of like Christmas themed. So they did a lot of stuff. The kind of real showstopper was probably, and again, this sounds like it shouldn't work and like a super cheesy, but like uh, Rufus just kind of sang uh, by himself a French version of Oh Holy Night. And it was like him just doing that like belting tenor. And it should be like, it seems like that thing where it's like probably someone precocious doing their party piece at like a fancy get together and you're like, oh Jesus, but he's so good that you're just like incredibly like almost moved to tears by it. Like it was, it was an astounding kind of performance and he, you know, he hits a lot of those notes throughout this album and it's tough not to get swept up in his voice. At the same time, I mean, it's tough to connect to this record, right? Because it's just kind of narrativeless. I mean, it just feels like... I really was like desperate to try and have some kind of thesis about this thing, but I was like, it's enjoyable. He's yeah. good. It's well produced. I don't know what else I can say. Like, I, it's just kind of there, you know? Yeah, he, he's been talking about this being like a bookend to his debut album, his self-titled debut. Um, I'm not really sure what he means by that, but it's like it's a coming full circle thing. I do think it is his first record in a while where he's unapologetically bringing in the kind of the strings, the various influences that really kind of defined him early on that maybe he's kicked against and some of the more esoteric kind of, um, you know, high culture things that I think he was like when he thought he was you know, aiming for the mainstream, he he kind of dampens down. But I think that's what what makes him. Like, he's got that swooning voice that, like, can sound like a kind of arched eyebrow. It's His humour really comes through in a lot of the songs and adds to it. He's far from a kind of a po-faced troubadour, which is great. I I think he's kind of, it feels like a greatest hits. And then, yeah, there's no real narrative. It's like he's in a good place. He's still kind of talking about American politics. He's still talking about his family. But as a collection, I think it's the strongest in a while. And there's a few songs here that are just like straight into the Rufus canon for me, which is like all I really wanted. Like, you know, a song like Damsel in Distress, which is him touching on like Joni Mitchell style, um, strident kind of guitars, almost like an Elvis, Scotty Moore acoustic thing paired with like those kind of almost Pavarotti like kind of uh, notes. And it's just... It's like, yes, this is exactly what I want from Rufus, Rufus and he's delivering. Uh, the title track, it's like kind of slightly sprawling and epic and he, he wears it well. Like in the past, it's felt like he's going for pop stuff and he's trying on, you know, different producers and it's like he's renting some talks for like, you know, for a big occasion. And this is just no tailored kind of Rufus. He's wearing his own outfit and he wears it really well. Um, yeah, I think I think the songwriting is really strong. There's only a couple of dips, really. Um, this one's for the ladies is a bit of a weird one where it's kind of like uh, it felt out of place kind of like, it did. like in this one because the production it was weird like just kind of sci-fi synths going on it's kind of humorous it's like it's subject matter is kind of older women and some of the some of the lines are actually quite good about how like you know heaven is a place where they don't feel like you know they're being stared through do you know what I mean they're actually being listened to but it feels a bit one note it feels like a kind of jokey idea that wears out its welcome but elsewhere there's some great stuff peaceful afternoon is as good as a kind of like we're a happy family song as you're going to get like i can totally listen to that all day the big the t- thing for me was that by like tuesday of listening to this album i was doing like double listens of a lot of songs which is kind of when you know yeah this is working for me it's just lush it's ear candy he's hitting all the marks it's not going to change the world as you say but as a fan i very much like it yeah, title track is gorgeous. Uh, Alone time, the final track is beautiful as well. Um, I think it's I think it's more because like the narrative 
around this record is very much that it's his first quote unquote proper record in eight years. You know, it's the first non gimmicked yeah. one or the non composition y one or like reading out sonnets or whatever. And so everyone is just kind of glad to have him back. In which case, that doesn't really set the bar very high from a critical point of view, which is fine. Um, there is definitely room in the world always for an artist maturing, you know, like like maturation and just like they've still got it, you know, which is there and it's fine. But like, if anything, it's bringing more to me back towards a record like Re- Release the Stars, which I would have listened to quite a lot when it came out and Want One and Want Two and that kind of stuff. And mm. that's been a pleasure. That's been a fucking absolute pleasure to be like, oh, yeah, this this artist that I was really into for a while for a very short term period that I just kind of fell out with for no reason at all. I was like, yeah, goddamn. And when this guy's on, he's fucking on. And I, like, it's fine. You can have a record that's just him kind of. It's not fair to say that he's going through the motions. It just feels almost like. I didn't think he was challenging himself on this one, but maybe that's the point. If he's happy enough to put out a record of, you know, I guess, quote unquote, conventionality, well then, great, cool. It's, I'm glad to have you, mate. But I don't know. I just, I didn't come away from it feeling anything, feeling anything really, I suppose. Like, I was just kind of like, yeah, it's 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 good, man. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, yeah, I hear where you're coming from. happens a lot. Like, 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 how often do we have like like these albums where you're like, Ah, shit, I got no hook, you know, it's fine. But, like, maybe I'm just being too picky for no reason. I mean, maybe yeah. I just wasn't really in the right uh, place for And it, it is, like, as I say, like, it's him talking... Really good, though. Him talking <laughs> like, about the record, like, you know, and trying to find maybe some hook, and he's saying, oh, it's like my debut, and I'm kind of like, is it? I kind of know where you're coming from. There's also been, you know, talk about, like, he's now entering, like, his late 40s, and people have been saying, okay, this is when, like, Leonard Cohn was writing Hallelujah. This is when a lot of his kind of influences were really hitting this you know, second phase as kind of more mature artists. And is this the moment that we enter kind of a new era for him? And I don't know if it works to that extent, um, but I don't think it's going through the motions. I think what he does is like such a singular thing. He's like balancing kind of quite sentimental, swoony stuff with humour, blending in opera references to kind of essentially pop songs the stuff he does naturally is very hard to do so i think when he just decides to do what he's good at it's kind of it's worth cherishing um so yeah for me i'm gonna give it an eight like i really i've i struggled to find faults with it but i understand how it mightn't blow people away yeah maybe he makes it sound easy but ultimately for me it's a case of if this is closing a door to open up a brand new one, well, then I'm very interested in that. Yeah. But if this is what we're going to be getting next time around, next time around, then I would worry that he's hit a bit of a comfort zone. But look, Ru- right. Rufus Wainwright's comfort zone is still far above many other artists. And if you've never checked him out before, well, then uh, now's the time because there's a, a wealth of gold in them hills. So, Craig, top five this week. We're doing best non-English language songs. Why are we doing this? Uh, Bastille Day was on... <laughs> Was it Tuesday Hooray! or Wednesday? <laughs> I think it was Tuesday, yes. <laughs> yeah, I just thought it was coming up when we were uh, talking about what we were going to dive into. And I was like, I think French people would appreciate us talking about songs that weren't in English. <laughs> it seems like quite a French thing to sure. do. We could almost it's have done big, like... It's our biggest audience as well. Like so, <laughs> yeah. We could almost have done like top five French songs, but I don't know. It, it might have got a bit predictable. I like expanding it slightly. Um we should say you shot down. Um, sorry, shot down top five Bastille songs pretty quick, which was a shame. <laughs> it would have just been too hard. Just kill your darlings, you know <laughs> what I mean. <laughs> what approach did say, you take to this? 
Um, I struggled, man. I, yeah. I put out the call on Twitter and there was tons and tons of responses and so many songs that I've flat out never heard of. And I was like, fuck, man, I need to educate myself a bit better. My palate is way too uh, hewn towards the stuff that I like. Um, I went for the gut feeling as always. I was like, well, look, that's going in, that's going in, that's going in. Fair enough. This, I think, makes sense. Some of them are more a representation of like an act rather than just the song. Um yeah, it was tough. I found it difficult. Not in an annoying way, but I was like, oh, this is this is a, this is our maybe our most hipster one that we've done in a it way. It is quite hipster, yeah. Yeah. And like I think there's a few choices of mine that people might initially be like fucking classic Craig digging up this. Oh, I'm expecting <laughs> I'm expecting I mean I, I'm I'm expecting at least one. So I'm we'll I'm see. already sweating over like the pronunciation of some of the fucking titles. Oh yeah. Um I, I know. I wonder could I guess your kind of your breakdown in terms of countries. I'm going to Okay, go for okay. it. Okay. I feel like you have a few in in, maybe, in no order. Yeah. I feel like there might be some Scandinavian stuff there. I feel There is. Okay. Ger- don't Germanic, like, like Germanic. Don't dance around it. Don't 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 do this fucking like swathe <laughs> thing. Give me the country, and I'll say yes or no. You got five guesses here. Uh, Norway. No, I'm not. I'm, no. Oh, Sweden. No. What's Denmark? No. <laughs> what? Oh, Germany is like obviously one. What are we missing? Germany's in, in there. Of, yeah. Yeah. Germany's in there. Finland. No. <laughs> what? You. <laughs> what obvious one am I missing? Um, this is great. This is great podcast. Audio yeah, me just I hope thinking Adam, it loud. I hope Adam really cuts out these dead silences. <laughs> okay, let me, one so far. Let me shift gears. Um, Japanese. Yes. Okay. Um, Brazilian. No. Mexican. Craig, this is really Let's boring. Let's get to the list. <laughs> <laughs> you go first. You go first. Okay. Um. All right. My first choice, Dave. Remember when I convinced you that the best version of 6am Jolanda Share was Joe Strummer introducing it on some like BBC World Service fucking radio thing that you have to like hunt down a fucking link for. And I think you were on board pretty pretty quickly because you've got great taste. This is another instance of me sending people to like a timestamp on a weird pop-up radio player. So there won't be a Spotify playlist probably for this one. Um, first heard of this maybe 12 years ago, still listening to it and the surrounding show and, you know, the influences. So very deserving of a place. My number five. I've missed Ghana, to, to quote Lara Croft in that J. Paul sample. Um, so that was uh, Kiera Matengstars with Yare Kobo Macau. Um, I think I nailed that. And it's like a song from the early 80s. Um, they were a, a, a Ghanaian group, um, obviously clearly playing high life music. Uh, you can actually find full albums of their stuff on YouTube. This specific cut came from a show um, called Radio Freetown, which was uh, like on a WFMU or something like that. And I stumbled across it like many, many moons ago. Um, it's worth checking out online. There was like, it was short lived. There's probably like six months worth of like weekly shows. 
but it was hosted by this German DJ who, like, I think in the late 90s, just got, like, a taste for African funk music and decided he was going to, like, take three years out of his life and just go to West Africa and travel around and get all these kind of records that you couldn't get your hands on anywhere else and essentially save a lot of them because, you know, they were people you know, weren't storing them correctly or they were just being discarded. No one was like, no one had vinyl players anymore. So the kind of, you know, the archiving system wasn't there. Um, So that's what he did. He spent three years doing it. I actually interviewed him um, when I was in college just to kind of talk about his journey, which is kind of quite remarkable. Like it'd make a great kind of doc. Um, And obviously in the years since there's been, he's talked about and there's been discussion around that whole thing of like Europeans going to Africa and like, you know, buying records and then, I don't think he's a collector in terms of, I don't think he sells, sells them at like, you know, vastly increased, you know, prices. I think he basically tours the world and just plays DJ shows with the records and gets the word out and tries to get compilations together. But there is that whole argument now of like, are you taking these records out of their home country and then like profiting on them? And he was the genuine guy, but I see the arguments. But definitely Radio Freetown is great. It's like a total, you know, it's this treasure trove of really interesting, like high life 70s, 80s music. It's just so different as well. Like it's great. Like, I don't know about you, but when I go to kind of foreign language stuff, a lot of the time it's like, it's great, like working music or background music, or you don't really quite have the context for it. So it kind of washes over you and it brings you somewhere else. And this is like as good as it gets in terms of that. All right. I like the passion, Craig. Um, For me, uh, it's not necessarily about working. It's just kind of like, you know, what makes me like, I guess, particularly with this one, what makes me feel because there are plenty of songs where I'm like, I have no idea what these lyrics are. I hope that they're not problematic. I don't know. <laughs> I'd like to think that someone else would have done my homework for me and cancelled this act, if not. Um, and that applies to anything that I don't know what I'm listening to. So number five for me, France, Craig. It's France. Let's go. So that is, I'm going to be pronouncing this wrong, but I'll try. Amser, A-M-E-S-O-E-U-R-S. Amser. And it's also the name of the song. Uh, This was a French post-punk slash post-black metal band, a side project of a member of the band Alsay. That's (laughs) A-L-C-E-S-T. And with this one, I actually found myself drifting towards France, uh, not just because of Bastille Day, but I was looking at some songs and I was like, there's a song called Safari Disco Club by an act called Yella. It's Y-E-L-L-E, which is a belter. And then I was like, oh yeah, I'll say this kind of like black metal band, post-rock band who have a song called Souvenirs de Notre Monde, which is fucking amazing. And it has a real big shoegazy guitar outro closer that's one of the best I've ever heard. And I was like, 
it's a bit too on brand for you, Dave. You've been doing this a lot lately. And then happily, somewhere in the middle, I was like, oh, hang on. There was like a side project by one of the guys, and that's Amser. They only released one record, also titled Amser. Um, they had the purpose of creating music that, quote, reflects the dark side of the industrial era and modern civilization. And and that's definitely what I hear in that song there. But uh, the Pitchfork said that the record is a journal of triumph and heartbreak. After the release of this album in 2009, the band split up due to personal tensions and conflicting ideas regarding the band's future so it's a good one and done and um it's weird like the whole record to me has a sense of visual feeling like i can just i can see these fucking murky dark clouds and stuff and on this it was kind of hard to pick one song off it and slash it was kind of hard to pick even 30 seconds there and i went with one of the more upbeat tracks just in terms of like its movement because i think you hear that and you're like you just want to fucking move right you just want to fucking go somewhere and do something and build something and win something and conquer and whatever the fuck um but yeah it's it's a record that i hadn't heard forever and going back to it was just such a pleasure this week i was like oh yeah that like that's and again this was this was at the height of my like scaring music forums scaring the likes of the hype machine and send opinions message board and so on and just you know like really trying to be an anorak about music that i'd never heard before mm. and yeah i mean to this day man i don't know what she's saying but i love the sound of it yeah you don't really need the context it totally portrays like what you know that that description it's banger it's total banger it reminded me of it's total um, banger yeah it's it does have that like pan-european almost kind of germanic like um you know propellant kind of motoric thing going on as well which is cool reminds me of a lot of other French acts that were influenced by similar um and yeah yeah um unsurprisingly I've quite uh, a chunk of like Gallic representation as well so we might as well enter that section now we French things up a little Dave <laughs> dim the lights Why not? <laughs> slip into a bath <laughs> Yeah, it was Serge Gainsbourg with uh, La Javanaise, um, and it's probably the most French song of all time, right? <laughs> <laughs> there was no way there was no way that this list was going to happen on your end and not have Serge Gainsbourg I know I would have bet my fucking life I'm fascinated by him I think he's like such a towering figure in French music and music in general obviously like um, kind of sad story he like succumbed to alcoholism he went quite dark and he had kind of his public mishaps and became problematic in the end uh, even for a kind of old school French dude um, even though he apparently was a sweetheart in his younger days but yeah like just such a a kind of musical powerhouse, uh, so influential. And this was like, it was really tough picking a Surge song. It could have been Bonnie and Clyde. Um, it could have been anything off Melody Nelson, which I think is the greatest thing he ever did. It's like half an hour of just really incredible, like pre-air, um, melodic, kind of acoustic, dreamlike sounds, along with just really kind of French serpentine, like bass lines. It's brilliant. La Javanese was like his... It's like his bow, essentially, right? So it was started in the 60s. He was already kind of well into his 30s, wasn't having much success. And this was like his first masterpiece, I think, right? He, he, then he started writing for various, you know, Chanteuse and Yeah Yeah Girls singers. And, you know, um, 
ushered in the era of, you know, Francois Hardy, all of that, the 60s. There's, of course, like a YouTube um, video of him performing this with a fucking jetain cigarette smoking away, just staring at the camera <laughs> in a suit. as like the best thing ever. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's really sweet. Like it's kind of, it's a great melody. It's lyrically, it's actually really interesting. It's kind of about, a you know, he invented a dance, but it's quite like Leonard Cohen-esque. It's kind of like a dance me to the end of love, very romantic thing. So it's like Leonard Cohen combined with a Burt Bacharach melody through a layer of Frenchness, which has got to be a winner, right? Big fan of the phrase, his first masterpiece, by the way. That's pretty good. I like that. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) There are so many of them. Uh, Number four for me, I teased it. People said you can't put them in. This is the part where I remind everyone that these lists are our favourites or what came to mind for us. Number four, from Germany. Yes, yes, yes. Would you deny me the chance to put Ramstein in here? I, I would, would hope not. not. That is, of course, Sonna from the record Mutter in 2001. <laughs> uh, here comes the sun, indeed. And that's the end of my bad German here comes attempt the to pronounce sun. I love that. That's, that's what it is. I know. Like, it's like a fucking George Harrison, like, acoustic upbeat ditty. And it's like that. They twisted it around. Uh, anyone who remembers Kerrang! TV and the ad for Kerrang! will fondly remember Sonna yes. soundtracking for so long do you remember the video <sighs> refresh me i definitely saw it i used to watch crying quite a bit it's the band as dwarves mining gold yes. for snow yes, white of course which is yes. of course it is that's what ramstein do uh, apparently the song was originally conceived as entrance music for the boxer vitali klitschko whose surname was also the working title of the song uh when it first emerged around about 2000 but that video is quite the thing i remember it being quite you know provocative and strange around the time um Ramstein are very much a I, I was so close to picking Duhast by the way for this one yeah, which is an absolute fire. rave metal belter you go back though to a record like Sauna or a record like Mudder sorry and you're like fuck me this is so good like it's just so impactful and with this one like vocalist Till Linderman like he's going for it like in that chorus it, it really gets epic it really gets like incredibly scaling and cool and big and it feels like you're again overcoming something and i think with ramstein like i've never seen them live which is a great tragedy i've heard they're exceptional yeah um, imagine touring and having gigs, having to deliver those heat, vocal you know? performances like every fucking night <laughs> He's a fucking like powerhouse of a frontman. Yeah. Um, I'm they're a band that I, I definitely dropped off. This would have been the height of it for me. Like I, I think that those first few records are are, are pretty pretty strong. Um, the album, by the way, Mutter was ranked in 2005. It was ranked number 324 in Rock Hard Magazine's book of the 500 greatest hold rock on, and metal albums on. of all time. <laughs> the magazine's called Rock Hard. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Do you have a copy, Dave? No, but I want one now. Uh, do you have or have you ever had any relationship with this industrial powerhouse outfit? 
Um, I've had some like kind of, yeah, Spotify dips now and again. I do like their kind of stuff. I don't know much about them whatsoever. I distinctly remember, obviously the video came back to me when you kind of described it there. I must have seen it countless times. Um, I feel like they were on some like MTV, maybe Europe music awards or something. I kind of remember them in that bracket of like when you're younger and when like the European music awards used to kind of put on slightly edgier people, like you'd get an Iggy pop or like a Marilyn Manson, like scaring the kids. And I feel like Ramstein had one of those moments and that I distinctly remember being like, what the fuck is happening right now? Cool. Um, so there's yeah, also, very fond of. There's them. another. Um, there's another detail about the video where, like, one of the other ideas. They apparently had forty different ideas for the video, but one of the other ones was a video about the dropping of the atomic bomb on Hiroshima, which would have matched the lyrics and the depressed sounding vocalization. Great. <laughs> like, yeah. Look at. I don't know, man. It, it gets a bit of a humble brag. Would have matched the A bomb. <laughs> <laughs> Only David Lynch can 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 play in that territory, as we learned a few years ago in Twin yeah. Peaks: The Return. Okay, returning to your let's, top five. Yeah, what we got? let's let's go softer and let's go back to the safety of France. Yeah, that's Stereo Lab with Sybil's Reverie, um, which is my absolute favourite Stereo Lab song. I think they're an amazing band. Um, but yeah, that does it for me. And it's off Emperor Tomato Ketchup, which is like, I think, is their masterpiece. Maybe their sole masterpiece, Dave. Um, although they their get, first yeah. masterpiece or? <laughs> Maybe their sole one. <laughs> what a good band. But yeah, this, you know, um, talking earlier about having those like pan-European, you know, German motoric influences Stereolab of course have that in spades they feel like a very like continental band in that regard um very propulsive but the harmonies were always like um something they excelled at um Mary Hansen who sadly passed away a lot a number of years ago now but yeah always delivered in those kind of backings just the lift on the chorus is something else um the vintage kind of since it's brilliant they like that you know so, like that little snippet there is very it's very french but actually their music was a total melting pot like there was you know funk jazz brazilian influences they were kind of post rocky they were you know um they they were yeah a melting pot as much as i hate that term they kind of fed a lot of stuff into it um a new act that kind of reminds me a little of them is vanishing twin um age of immunology which was in my albums of last year um English language. I think they're based in London, but it's that kind of spirit spirit of what Stereolab were doing in the 90s, if you want to check them out. Um, also, really good on YouTube is the Peel sessions that Stereolab did. If you're a kind of fan, check those out. Was your goal with this list, by the way, to invoke the listener to just picture you walking around coastal towns in the sun, wearing sunglasses and looking <laughs> jaded? Because that's what I'm doing with each one of these. Kind of my aim every week. <laughs> I don't know how successful I am, <laughs> but yes. <laughs> the only reason All we right. do the podcast. For my number three, you got one of these guesses right. This is Japan. Let's go to Japan.
is Boris, or Borisu, the legendary Japanese experimental band formed in 1992. The song is Farewell. It's the opening track on their album Pink, which came out in 2005. And I think some people would cite that as their masterpiece. Um, but they have had lots of opportunities, Craig, because uh, they're insanely prolific, th- this trio. Just two weeks ago, they released what I believe is their 27th studio album. It's oh, called No. And it's on Bandcamp rather than Spotify for some reason at the moment. Um, yeah, so obviously very much back in the epic shoegazy what's 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 that vocal even all about phase for me. Uh, this is just an incredible, cathartic, incredible piece of music that I adore. It's actually used in a really fucked up uh, horror film called Confessions from a short while ago. I think it was around the turn of the last decade, which if you're into your extreme Asian horror Give that a go. Um, <laughs> Boris are fucking amazing. I like they're incredibly punky. I, I will. I'll be pretty honest. I have not heard all twenty seven albums. Pink, I think, is a fucking classic. Um, I, I dug up an interview that they did in the Quietus in twenty fourteen, and some of the highlights from that interview. The question was: So, what is the world of Boris all about? And the response, credited to the full band, is: It's indescribable. Normally, a human can't sense all of what they truly are, and so we can't sense all of Boris. I think we're definitely one of the hardest bands in the world to define in any case, which I would agree with. Um, Later in the same interview, which I believe was conducted by a guy called Tristan Bath, uh, he said he'd been to Tokyo and the range of sound in the city is quite striking. The constant tinkling of pachinko machines, advertisements and arcades can become the calm, empty back streets or a silent bar in in moments. uh, what effects has Tokyo Soundscape had on this band? And they responded by saying, the sort of consistent noise is definitely a vital part of the Japanese psyche. And it's been a big influence on us. Noise is a vital part of the Japanese mentality, particularly when making music. Noise is Japanese blues. Which Ooh, I find very interesting. Yeah. It is interesting. This is noise, like, like it's noise pop, you know, it's post-punk, it's all those things. And it's, sometimes they have songs that are just, like honestly it feels like someone went into the studio and just turned up the feedback on their guitar as loud as they could and you're like cool (laughs) it was interesting um yeah when i was doing some digging on my own for like you know stuff i might have missed i was just looking at like stuff that's regarded as like japanese classics and it's interesting the genres that they're kind of drawn to time and again or that they seem to excel in just from a kind of you know you know outside kind of world point of view um because you'd look at some like native Japanese kind of obviously English language articles about like what are the top 50 you know songs or albums of you know the last whatever of the century in Japan and it was such a weird mix of like metal noise rock and then very kind of cheesy like ballads like just middle of the road ballads that would be you know wouldn't even do mainstream business here and uh, yeah kind of like a uh, karaoke bar kind of stuff karaoke bar like kind of stuff and then bars. yeah uh, people would be like disagreeing online about what was being represented at the top and like a lot of people were just saying listen our, our best stuff is clearly just like it should just be a bunch of nintendo scores yeah <laughs> that's what we've given the world and that's what people are looking for it's like oh yeah of course they've dominated in that kind of genre which we talked about recently enough so it's a yeah it's a country i'm completely baffled by in terms of in musical terms and every other sense of the word but i'm intrigued um the but, um yeah. one more excerpt from this interview because there is a nice little kind of cultural smash and again this is pre-brexit 
Uh, the guy <laughs> says, "What?" He goes, "What do you think about Great Britain then?" And which I just find amazing, like to to confront this really art- artful band, like with that kind of like generic radio host question. So there's three answers, and the first one is, "Well, the hot water and the cold water come out of separate taps here. We found that quite surprising." Uh, then the next one is, "I'm a vegan, so the food scene here is actually really good for me. There's not much for vegans to eat in Japan." And finally, someone says, "I had a pub lunch today. It was excellent. Simpler times, Craig. You know, can't they- do that anymore." <laughs> They well, all feel can, like metaphors, you, you though, don't they? I, I feel like there's hidden meaning in there. I wonder if they've been asked what, about their namesake, Boris. At this point, I'm sure they have. I'm sure it's on the list of questions to not ask the experimental yeah. post-punk Japanese band when you get the opportunity. <laughs> but seriously, take the opportunity and check out Pink by Boris. It fucking rules. Cool. My number two, uh, I'm also heading east, but not that far east. Turkey. Um, Turkey. <laughs> Like Jagger or something. South America! (laughs) UK! (laughs) Turkey, we're going to Turkey. was Mazar Feifut uh, with the song Adamese Miss Kinder Bazim uh, from 1973. If it sounds slightly familiar, um, it was f- taken as a sample for the Action Bronson song Easy Rider, which is, of course, where I first came across it. Wasn't dipping into the 70s catalogue of um, Turkish kind of psych rock bands. I was too busy listening to West African pop from the 1970s. Um, but it's such a good song. You can song. only do so much, Craig. You, know? you can only, yeah, there's only so many hours in the day. Uh, I love this. It's just like hooks galore. It's so strange because it's clearly coming from a point of view of like, it's like folk rock with obviously a lot of American influences. There's proggy stuff going on, but it's also very immediate and it's like quite political, like looking at the lyrics. It's it's essentially like a kind of, uh, um, a kind of cry for peace and basically like the slackers or the hippies of the world uniting and like their enemy being hatred. It's all these kind of very positive slogans. Like when you were saying earlier on, Dave, I hope the stuff I'm listening to isn't like problematic. Uh, I was very happy to see earlier on today when I threw in like fucking Turkish lyrics into Google Translate. All this stuff of like, our enemy is hatred. We don't hold a grudge on anyone. The public is one. Us. <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah, this is what I've been jamming out to. <laughs> right on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this band, I think they were um, generally known as MFU. Uh, it's like a trio of guys. I guess they're like the Turkish Emerson, Lake and Parmer or something. Um, but it says online that um, their songs poke fun at common Turkish types, satirize prejudice and corruption, and others are more spiritual in nature. Um, but just such kind of incredible musicians. Um, that seems like a deep well to kind of tap into as well. Uh, the, the album, the parent album's on YouTube in full uh, from 1973. And Persian kind of pop going slightly further east. Like there's, you know, a huge array of compilations, that kind of stuff. And it's just, it's very opulent sounding. Um, the quality level in terms of the songwriting is very disarming uh, so it's a nice kind of part of the world to just dip into from time to time I remember um, I remember years ago on like Sky Sports one of the presenters just had a bit of a meltdown and for some reason described Lester as like Lesistre and I was like I don't know what's happened there that's really really funny and I've never forgotten it um, so the point is Greg for our next for my number two we're going to Lesistre in England <laughs> let's do it Let's go. 
Yes, of course. It is the aforementioned by you, uh, and also aforementioned by me in terms of putting them in a previous top five, the mighty, the hella underrated Corner Shop. Yes. And the song is Spectral Mornings, which is 14 and a half minutes long. It comes from the record Hand Cream for a Generation, released in 2002, and it features Noel Gallagher on guitar. And it's just an exceptional adventure. I threw it on today when I went for a walk, and I was like, I'm just forgetting about the world. I'm just in a different place altogether. Once again, as with 6th AM, Jalunda Share, which I, I think topped one of my lists previously, or at least came up there, um, just amazing, like the ability to bring you somewhere else and just like transport you. Like it's so transportative. It's so mm. incredible. I know you're a fan. Huge fan. Yeah. I love a lot of her stuff. Um, actually, you know, talking about that Guardian, you know, top 50 British singles of all time list. One thing that did infuriate me was that um, Brimful of Asha didn't make it anywhere there. I'm like, that was a moment, wasn't it? That felt like a big... Huge, yeah. It was, you know, it was top in the charts for weeks upon weeks. Obviously, culturally, it was huge. Um, they haven't really crossed over too much since. Um, you can't constantly hit those heights. Obviously, you know, they dip into kind of Punjabi and stuff as well. So maybe like they're not aiming for mainstream glory, but yeah, they're just, they're just so quality. But also, like, Brimful of Ash is one of those ones where, for the longest time, I think maybe it felt like a bit of an albatross around their neck or something, but I think enough time has elapsed now that you're like, oh, yeah, hang on, that was a genuinely phenomenal song. Like, what a fucking song. But there's so much more to them, of course. Yes, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, Spectral Mornings here is one of those songs. It's just so confident. It's so supreme. It's amazing. Um, I read an interview with uh, frontman Tinder Singh from the band from March of this year, because they actually had an album quite recently. This has been The Enemy, and... They, I think, I think the the gimmick was that like the interview is asking them questions about the band. So the first question was in two thousand and two, what Guinness World Record did Corner Shop try to break? And in response, Chandler Singh was like, "Oh, longest mix. It was one song going on for twenty four hours. Someone from the Guinness World Records came down and oversaw it. I was watching people on social media saying they listened to it in the morning and they finished work and were now listening to it at night. And it, it, that is true. It was for longest ever remix with a continuously mixed and constantly changing version of the track Spectral Mornings. This leads the interviewer to ask about Oasis and." And Noel Gallagher ending up on the song. And Chinder Singh says, uh, it was exciting to tour big auditoriums in America with Oasis. Both groups got on really well. Um, so much that we had their former bass player play bass on Lessons Learned from Rocky 1 to Rocky 3, which is one of their also great songs with a great song title. And Noel obviously pitched up on Spectrum Mornings. For the recording, Noel came and did a few hours of working stuff out, which was nice of him. He could have just done two minutes and thought, sod that, I'm off. We ended up with so much guitar, it lent itself to the 24-hour mix. One of the reasons why Noel and Liam liked Corner Shop was because they both heard 6AM Jalunder Share in different rooms at a hotel. Oh, and wow. Noel phoned, up, uh, Noel phoned up Liam, who said, yeah, I'm watching it now. It shook them. <laughs> Fucking hell, that's say, excellent. Isn't that brilliant? Yeah. Uh, Spectrum Mornings was a very Jalunda Share thing, which is why Noel was happy to do it. It's quite a brave thing for a white chap to do. A lot of people would say, what the fuck are you singing about? But I think Noel understood that he was in the presence of fucking kings in that recording session because this is up there with Jalunda Share for me. Just two unique, incredible moments in music that I love and hold dear so, so much. Yeah, and Noel got her uh, a good... A good guy, I guess. I always remember... can bring those two back together. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, On the flip side of that, Corner Shop were one of the very early acts that were like calling out Morrissey just like years ago and were totally ignored. Um, So yeah, history proving them right all over the shop. Okay, my number one is um, stupefyingly beautiful. Uh, Forget the kind of language stipulation. It's it's one of the great songs uh, of the century. Here it is, Back to Japan. Nah, 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 nah. 
That's Asta Chang and Jun Ray. Uh, the song is Hannah. Um, Asta Chang and Jun Ray is a band kind of centered around Asta Chang, who's like a percussionist. Um, as you can hear in that song, like a lot of the writing is done around the tabla. So it's very percussive kind of songwriting and it just makes for these incredible kind of collages. Um, Jun Ray, it's, it's kind of like an echo in the Bunnyman situation where I think Jun Ray is like the, the kind of sound setup or the sound system that they tour with. Um, so there is kind of a, a full tree piece around it all. Um, yeah, I was struck by this song a, a good few years ago. I think it's cropped up in like lots of like, yeah, again, John Peel would have championed it when it a- arrived around about the early 2000s. And it's just, the kind of longing in those sides is incredible. The jumble of emotion, like the thoughts, it's very fragmented. It gets further fragmented as it goes along over the course of its six minutes and 41 seconds. And it's the strings or something else as well. It's like real kind of barber adagio for strings territory. It's just incredible, incredible stuff. Okay. So that's a, that's a discovery for me, Craig. So I will be, I will be hopefully taking this with me and, and enjoying it. Uh, playlist wise. Yeah. Like you say, I mean, we, we put a playlist for our Patreons at patreon.com slash no encore, or yeah. else we put up individual YouTube links. I'm tempted to make a mega playlist with some of the shouts I got this week. So maybe keep an eye on that on my Twitter in a while. Most importantly, go on the Patreon lads, give us <laughs> some money. <laughs> it's just like, there's no wonderful, drastic way to say it. Uh, here's the thing though. <laughs> Thanks, Craig. Uh, my number one non-English language. Right. Okay. Uh, any guesses? You know, to, to to go back to your original guessing spree at the start of the thing. Any guesses? Um, I did. Yeah, I wasn't great with the guesses to begin with. Um, you did message me, kind of yes. cri- slightly cryptically saying, "Is it okay to have like made-up languages?" Which it was. Um, mm-hmm. so I agreed to just to kind of shoot you down and be like, Dave, there's so many beautiful languages in the world. How could you pick a ma- made-up one? So I'm guessing this is Cigar Rose. Technically, it's either Cigar Rose, yeah. Okay, well, it could it's have been. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's hear it. <laughs> okay, number one, Cigar Rose, Iceland, Hopelandic, baby. <laughs> Yeah, that was a really, really cheerful intro there for an incredibly 10-beat song. Mm. It is Vaca, aka Untitled One from Sigurose from their Brackets album in 2002. Um, I don't know if you were having technical difficulties, Craig, or if you got up and walked away from your computer due to the emotion of it all. It's okay. <laughs> it's a safe space. I had, to, um, I had to plug in my charger. Uh, not from my laptop, from my soul. <laughs> but I was listening. It's such a great song. <laughs> Yeah, so Sigaros uh, famously singing their own language, and you could have picked anything from them really in terms of like representing them, but Vaca is the one that I often go back to. Um, I think a lot of it is because of the music video. Uh, do you recall this particular piece of work? Um, I think I do. 
Refresh me. Yeah, it's, it's extremely upsetting. So the music video Oh, is, uh, no. Okay, yeah, it's that one. Yeah, yeah there you go. D- directed by Floria Sigsmondi. Uh, the music video shows a post-apocalyptic world in which children attending school get ready to go outside and play. The children, after having their ears and mouths inspected by mm. the faculty, put on many layers of clothes as well as ominous gas masks, exit the school building and emerge to a yard covered in black ash, which falls from the red sky like snow. They play in the ash, throwing it at one another and making snowmen as well as roughhousing, causing one of the kids to lose her gas mask. Her classmates gather around her as she falls to the ground and eventually closes her eyes because, of course, they're in a nuclear winter, Craig, and she's doomed. The video won Best Video at the 2003 MTV Europe Music Awards in Edinburgh, Scotland, where presumably backstage at the time were Ramstein getting ready to go. Um, It's a stunner, and I I wrote some bullshit, pretentious nonsense about it in college for an essay that I think my tutor did not appreciate. But it's one of those ones, you know? It's one of those wonderful unions of perfect marriages. Are you just going to use that for our Patreon write-up, our exclusive (laughs) write-up? Oh, wow. I don't think I have access to anything I wrote in college, but if I do, I'm pretty sure at one stage I ran out of things to say and just start start talking about the cameras that they used. I'd love to read that. Gorgeous, gorgeous video. And yeah, I mean, the cigarettes are one of those acts, right? I mean, like they're one of those ones where I can go a long time without listening to them and then all of a sudden you kind of fall back in big time. Yeah. Um, um, incredible. Do you like them act. or are, yeah, I have a lot are of they a bit on the, are they a bit on the pretentious side for you? No, not pretentious. Like their music is so kind of overpowering that it feels, even with the made up language, kind of slightly too earnest and too much for me at times. It's maybe the same bracket as like a MBV where it's like you need to be ready to be swept up with it all. But they're, yeah, incredible, great live moments. You know a band are great when Chris Martin and Gwyneth Paltrow decide that for the birth of their first child, they're going to be playing Sigur Rós. <laughs> That's how Apple came into the world, apparently, Dave, so... Well, now I regret my choice, don't I? But, you know, it's too late now. We can't go back. And that's our top five for this week. This episode of No Encore was engineered by trusty sonic architect Adam Shanahan. Patreon.com slash No Encore, as noted in my overly desperate plea earlier on. I do apologise. I think I was just so emotional waiting for the cigarette song to kick in. In the other listening corner, as noted, I've gone back to the Talkies by Girl Band, a fine album. I think we can all agree. Uh, Listen to a bit of Joy Division because obviously we got the No Popcorn coming out on 24 Hour Party People and Control. And speaking of Chris Martin, Craig, Parachutes by Coldplay just turned 20 years of age. How do you feel about that one? Um, Yeah, it feels about right. (laughs) Feels like like 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I have not gone back to it in many's a year. Uh, I did like it very much at the time. It feels like a totally yeah, different band. Take. It kind of it's was. Good, it does, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good album. It's actually, it's it's very innocent, I think, by comparison. And there's lots of kind of lovely, hopeful things in there. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily... You mean, sorry, do you mean and, innocent compared to, like, the gritty, like, stuff <laughs> that they're doing at the moment? Sky full of stars and <laughs> every teardrop is a waterfall. <laughs> Hey, Every Teardrop is a Waterfall is a decent tune. It's in, in the 11 Coldplay songs that I like, it's in there. Nice. Um, no, I think it's more that like, it's they just sound like a smaller band or something. Yeah. They, like, they sound like four lads who probably played in a garage or whatever. Not the fucking stadium skyscraping band they are these days. I don't know if you can necessarily work out that they would become that based off Parachutes, but... It has the trappings of it here and there, but it's it's a it's a good record. You know, it's not fashionable to say, Craig, but I'll put, I'll stand up and I'll say it. Parachutes by Coldplay. It's a good record. You're so bloody brave, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote down on the running order a bunch of stuff I was listening to, and I don't really have much to say about any of it. It was just what I was listening to. Bruce Hornsby. Just list it off. He's quite good. <laughs> Elliot Smith. Talking Heads. Um, 
because <laughs> the Adam Scott and Scott Ackerman podcast where, you know, they were doing a you, you Talking You Too to Me one ages ago, and then it became an REM one. They pivoted to the Red Hot Chili Peppers a couple of weeks ago and people, there was uproar. It was just like, I'm not listening to the Red Hot Chili Peppers for an entire series. So this week they just decided mid-episode they'd rather talk about Talking Heads. And I was like, oh yeah, that's a good shout. So I went back to like Remain in Light and the debut and I was like, oh my God, David Byrne. So tremendous. What I've also been listening to, Dave, is a playlist of compiled of people's guesses for a song that sounds a bit like Cars Drive which some dude on Reddit couldn't identify, which is just brilliant. What kind of week are you having? <laughs> some guy was like, I think it sounds a bit like Cars. It's got like that synth thing going on, like synth brass, but I can't, I don't know what it is. And just, there was like 300 guesses of incredible like 80s synth songs. And someone was like, hold on a second, this is a playlist. And it's really good. Um, I might retweet it or something. It's worth uh, dipping into Oh wow! The thing it's gonna, is, it's going to take the honor of one of your four tweets of the week, is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a track from about three years ago, and um, I think it's when I was on my Bruce Hornsby bus and I was looking around Reddit for like his best songs or something. It's been that kind of week. Um, but the thing is, the thread was like three years ago, and they never figured your man never figured out what the song was. It just ends, and he's like, "Nah, still haven't found it." So. I guess the journey was like the destination. The playlist was yeah. The it's like that. Um, it's like things. that reply all episode that everyone freaked out about a couple months ago. The case of the missing hit. Have you heard that? It's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't listen to it, but I, I like the premise. So I'll have to check it out. All right. Okay. You do that, mate. And uh, no encore. <laughs> we'll return. Thanks, man. I was Good trying to, to do like back. a... I was, trying, I was trying to do like a fucking like, you know, British radio DJ moving on to the next segment. Yeah, and yeah, I realized yeah. this is the end of the show and that was just rude. <laughs> Craig, I'm a huge fan. You know, you know me. Big fan. I'm just intim- intimidated by this I know, return I know. to uh, it's the dynamic we normalcy. It's what it's makes it work. Are. Hey, you looking forward to that Fontaine's record? Ten out of ten in Hot Press, apparently. Perfect album. I yeah, I'm hearing good things. Uh, I haven't really liked the singles so far. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It, I watched out? some of their. Is that out like next 31st, week or something? No, 31st of July. I haven't okay. asked for an advanced copy for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, listen, I, we'll do it. Yeah, we'll review. Of course, it. yeah, yeah. Yeah, Once more into the breach, yeah. <laughs> they um they played like Kilmainham Jail this week as part of the other voices stuff. I watched yeah. the first half an hour of it and then I was like, Why am I watching this? I think I'm, I'm sure it was cool, like the, it was shot extremely well. The it was first shot one very of those well, was yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was so fair play yeah. to other no, voices. It, 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 it looked amazing and they did yeah. it for a good cause. So I'm not here to uh I'm not here to rag on them. That'll be in a couple of weeks' time. <laughs> anyway, my name is Dave Hanratty. This has been No Encore. There will be no encore back soon. See ya. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. guys, this is Gabby Douglas. If you have an active lifestyle like me, hydration is key. That's why I love the Hydration Watermelon Smoothie from Smoothie King. Blended with whole fruits, coconut water, and more electrolytes than some of the leading sports drinks, Hydration Watermelon is the cleaner way to hydrate with no artificial colors, flavors, or preservatives. 
so you can recover and perform at your peak ability during the summer heat. Order online or through the app for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King, rule the day. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.